Welcome to the St Mark's Hospital podcast. I'm your host, Peter MacDonald, one of the surgeons here. And as the UK's only specialist bowel hospital, endoscopy, of course, pays, plays a crucial role in patient care at St Mark's. The Wilson Unit for Endoscopy, as it's called at St Mark's, is world-renowned, being the only unit in the UK to achieve the World Endoscopy Organisation recognition as a centre of excellence for endoscopy research and training. Today our guest is Dr. Shuan Thomas-Gibson, who is a gastrointestinal endoscopist and luminal gastroenterologist. She's been a hospital consultant at St Mark's since 2006 and recently has been appointed Dean of the Academic Institute. She was awarded MD at Imperial College uh, with her work on improving training and assessment in colonoscopy and is very much involved in JAG, which is the organisation which controls endoscopy in the UK. She's published many papers and her clinical interest is improving endoscopy training as one of the central features and, and this will form the basis of some of the podcast today. Uh, welcome, Shuren. Uh, and uh, I think we might, first of all, if you'd like to just say what the Wolfson Endoscopy Department is, roughly, and, and how big it is. Yeah, thanks, Peter. I'm delighted to take part in this podcast. So uh, the Wolfson Unit for Endoscopy has been uh, at the St Mark's site long before it came to the Northwick Park site, but in its current uh, status, we're a six-roomed unit, and we perform across, on this site, around 25,000 endoscopies every year, and that number's increasing. But I think what we're uh, most proud of and most famous for is the teaching and endoscopic research that we do uh, in the centre. And that's a combination of hands-on teaching in the form of train the trainers courses particularly in colonoscopy but also in therapy uh, like polypectomy for example and more recently uh, even advanced therapeutic uh, training courses uh, with Professor Saunders with uh, teaching uh, endoscopic submucosal dissection. So people will come from all over the country and even the world to, to learn some of these techniques here? Yes, absolutely. We have our own, obviously, in-house, both medical and surgical and nursing trainees. Uh, and then we run uh, very many courses throughout the year. So we'll have, in a typical year, um, you know, in, into the hundreds of trainees coming to learn uh, all modalities of endoscopy, mostly lower GI, which is, of course, what we specialise in in this colorectal hospital. Indeed. And um, you said the number of patients that are coming through here are, are very large numbers. I mean, how does that compare with other, with other units up and down the country? So we are one of the largest uh, endoscopy units in terms of the numbers of patients that we see. Um, without getting into the local politics of it, we're not particularly large in terms of our uh, floor pan and the rooms that we uh, the rooms that we have. As I say, just six rooms, but we also run uh, endoscopy lists. We have general anaesthetic lists every day of the week. Uh, some in endoscopy, some in theatres, and of course in radiology. We run evening lists and we work throughout the weekend. So we've really um, had to uh, maximise our capacity, which is very similar across the country particularly with the introduction and rollout of bowel cancer screening. So, so there's this growing demand for colonoscopy in particular uh, up and down the country and worldwide. Um, you'd mentioned f uh, for a moment general, general anaesthetic endoscopy, colonoscopy. What are we doing? What are the special lists that we're doing that, we, that might be different from certain other places? Um, 
So I think the 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 vast majority, as you know, the very the huge uh, majority of patients who have colonoscopy will manage with either conscious sedation or indeed no sedation, and many patients are surprised to hear that. And and here we would perform up to about a third of our patients uh, having colonoscopy without any sedation whatsoever, or perhaps just entonox. And then the vast majority, as I say, will have intravenous sedation. And then a small minority will have uh, general anaesthetic or very deep sedation administered by an anaesthetist in the form of propofol. And those uh, groups of patients are either those who have uh, complex anatomy and therefore um, colonoscopy is very uncomfortable or technically very challenging. So that's one group. And then the other groups are the, the therapeutic colonoscopies that we do. So perhaps, as I say, advanced endoscopic mucosal resection that's going to take uh, perhaps more than an hour or an ESD similarly, um, or some of the polyposis work that our colleagues, um, uh, Dr. Suzuki and Dr. Andy Latchford perform uh, for patients perhaps even in the upper GI tract who are having uh, advanced uh, upper GI therapy. And double balloon enteroscopy is also... Yeah, yes, so we have a weekly... Dr. Adam Humphreys performs double balloon colonoscopy, um, either orally or transanal route, uh, and they are mostly done either under deep sedation or general anaesthetic. Some of them are done under sedation. but So there's a whole raft of procedures that are performed that are, that are requiring uh, support from our anaesthetic colleagues. And, and again, that's mirrored elsewhere in the country, but of course we have a, a specialty group of patients here who require that indeed because we see those where other uh, centers either don't have general anesthetic or indeed because the the procedure for some reason is technically challenging and therefore we need additional uh, anesthetic support most patients will tolerate colonoscopy for up to about an hour if a procedure is predicted to go for over an hour uh, then i think in general we would uh, try and offer deep uh, deep sedation or, or general anesthetic and going back to the vast majority you either have no sedation or uh, or light sedation we we rather uh, pride ourselves in and i know christopher williams used to talk about it a lot of doing as little sedation or as light sedation as you can for safety reasons do you want to comment on that because that may come to surprise as a surprise to some people listening that we do use really as light a sedation as we possibly can yes we do and uh, i mean i mean the first thing to say is i think a patient uh, the patient's choice has to come into this and in order to have choice they have to have information so i will always um, say to a patient they have these four options so absolutely no sedation at all uh, or entonox or a combination of usually uh, fentanyl and midazolam or anaesthetic delivered uh, sedation or anaesthesia and there are pros and cons of course to all of those uh, both in terms of safety for the patient and patient convenience and experience clearly if a patient has no sedation or entonox alone, they can leave the department very much more quickly and be back to perhaps work or picking up the kids from school or whatever it is that they need to do. Um, but they need to understand that they're then going to be completely aware of what's going on. Um, and of course, actually unsedated or lightly sedated colonoscopy is in general much easier to do because of some of the, the uh, technicalities of it. For example, patient position change will make things much easier. But we are, of course, um, facing a, a more comorbid and elderly uh, population as well. And so those patients, if they can tolerate very little sedation, it is safer. Uh, 
If we do use sedation, then again, it's a bit more onerous for the patient. The patient has to have somebody to collect them, to take them home. And really, um, most patients, we would say, should have somebody with them at home. Uh, they can't drive for 24 hours and so on. So it interrupts their schedules very much more, already having had their schedule interrupted because they had to have bowel preparation from the day before. And obviously, older and more comorbid patients may not respond to sedation uh, as well as younger people. So, um, you know, we try and keep sedation to a minimum uh, so that it's safe, but the balance is obviously making the procedure tolerable for the patient. Right. Now, let's talk about the difficult colonoscopy because, um, you know, for, for many people listening, the ability to do a, a, a quick and easy colonoscopy um, is is sometimes their biggest challenge in their work and not all colonoscopy is easy and there are many tricks you've mentioned one already which is the light sedation which allows you to turn the patient which makes a huge difference as we both know to for colonoscopy what other tricks can we develop have we developed here perhaps more than other places to help um, a successful colonoscopy be achieved well, we could probably spend uh, an hour or more just talking about those. I think yeah. I would go back to having the opportunity to uh, talk to the patient beforehand. And that might only be, you may only meet the patient immediately before at consent, of course, because they may have seen somebody else uh, in a clinic or they may indeed these days have been sent directly in from their GP. But having that conversation with the patient up front I can't underestimate how important that is. So a patient needs to know that they are in control and if they're not coping, that they can say and interact with you and that they understand that they're going to perhaps feel some discomfort, but if at any time it becomes painful, that they can uh, let you know. I mean, pain um, is sometimes, unfortunately, part of colonoscopy and it doesn't mean that something is going wrong, but we should have all of the tools available uh, to try and ease that. So patient position change without again going into the detail um, is very helpful although um, one of the things that has changed my practice in the last uh, couple of years really has been to use water rather than gas to inflate the colon during intubation and, and for that you don't really rotate the patient in fact it's important to keep the patient in the left lateral so that's something that we're changing in terms of our technique. Let's talk about that very briefly because yeah. it's relatively new. Yes. Are you using it for all colonoscopy now or just where you expect some difficulty? No all colonoscopy I now use it so so uh, we've moved away, as you know, historically from using air to inflate the colon. Really, no one should be using air at all. And for many years, we've been using carbon dioxide. And certainly this unit has published on that, you know, when it was first being used. And that was that made colonoscopy very much more tolerable. But of course, any gas will inflate and elongate the colon and make the angulation, uh, at, you know, at flexures uh, more pronounced. Whereas if you use water through the, the, the sort of more modern scopes, many of them have an integral um, water flushing system that makes it very easy via a foot pump to put water in. So I switch the gas off completely, put the scope in um, and then just uh, it, um, infuse water just enough to be able to see where I'm going. It does rely on uh, there being good bowel preparation because if the prep isn't very good then you get a very murky view. And there are there are um, a couple of great reviews of this most recently in Frontline Gastroenterology um, this year uh, looking at uh, an overview of these techniques and there are different techniques described water immersion, water exchange but the basic principle 
principle is is that you're using water taking out the gas as you go in really until at least you're in the transverse colon and if you think about it, the water will weigh down the, uh, the left colon and reduce the angulation. And you essentially swim through the colon. And usually when you get in into somewhere in the transverse colon, then perhaps position change or the use of CO2 may help you complete the procedure. But it's certainly helpful in very fixed um, uh, sigmoid colons. It's very, very helpful in those long colons. So, uh, Is it particularly good in someone who's had a hysterectomy, which is one of the old bugbears of... Easy so yeah, fi fixed colon for any reason, mm. uh, just because it really is just weighing the colon down and minimising the amount of uh, the amount of the amount of stretch uh, within the. And colon. you're using water, not saline. Correct. Yes. Right. Yeah. And what about cuffs and caps and things like that? Because they're relatively new, and 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 an ordinary person who's doing a lot of diagnostic colonoscopy may not use these things very often unless they get very, very difficult cases referred specifically to them so when... yeah so cuffs and caps um historically were developed to try and improve the views on extubation particularly so cuff uh, uh, which has a number of soft prongs on it uh, is designed to to flatten out the folds during extubation to improve your pickup rate for polyps um, but actually, uh, and transparent caps, again, were traditionally or originally um, developed to, again, flatten out folds and stabilise the area for therapy. But actually, both of these devices have also, in some studies, been shown to help with intubation. The cuff, it's thought, probably anchors the colon and allows you to pull back and straighten. So rather than falling back when you're straightening a loop in the colon, it provides some friction and anchors the scope. Um, and so there is limited evidence that these devices can also help with intubation. But of course, there are some contraindications to them so as well. So we help. don't use them routinely. Right, so it might help you take, take a, a loop out yeah. if you've got something like that. Yes. that's one yeah. of the things that... We're always trying to do, aren't we? When, when, certainly, when we did, um, when we did, when we did more gas uh, colonoscopy, the loop was the real bugbear. Do you okay. find you don't really find that in the in the water immersion? Do you? Um, less, less much, looping. much less so. So the evidence, the literature does suggest that there you do get less looping. Uh, I wouldn't say that you don't get any looping, and of course there will be some colons that still will loop, um, but it does minimise that. And the um, the the cuffs I would just go back to those the cuffs and caps because I wouldn't want people to to think that we're recommending that they use them in all cases water yes there's virtually no contraindication to using water obviously you'd have to be careful in cases where there's risk of fluid overloads perhaps in renal failure patients or heart cardiac failure patients um, but cuffs and caps um, they're probably of use in screening type patients or patients who are going to have uh, small polyps they're going to be of use in patients who've perhaps got a polyp um, in a difficult uh, in, a, in an area difficult to access or where it's been difficult to visualize the polyp previously or where you're hunting for a polyp that's perhaps been seen uh, with imaging um, but there are there are some contraindications it can be tender going in through the anal canal using a cuff or a cap um, and uh, through a very tight uh, sigmoid diverticular segment I would caution use or in active colitis I would avoid it. That's very useful now one of the things that you spend a lot of time doing is training and um, and trying to get the training systems uh, applied properly around the country um, how, how is training changed and how do you see it going in the years to come? Again, that's a really big question. I mean, training has changed in the UK such that 
um, you know, now we are really recognised as leaders in terms of how we've developed uh, training. And before the rollout and the start of bowel cancer screening, a huge investment was made in training programmes. And the, the, the ethos really was that um, uh, investing in training trainers to teach at grassroots level, to improve their teaching at grassroots level, not in an entirely uniform way, but speaking so that the same message was given to trainees as they moved around um, from post to post. Uh, and so investment was made both in basic skills colonoscopy courses, if we just take colonoscopy as the example, um, and in training the trainers to teach that. Um, and really now trainees coming through are of an incredibly high standard and there are protections in place such that uh, you know no longer are trainees left unsupervised. They really are supervised closely, hopefully by a trained trainer until they, they themselves are competent. And their training is logged on the what we call the JETS portfolio so that they build up their competencies. And then when they have reached competence, according to uh, the trainer's assessments, they will be ready for certification. And that's the, that's the national endoscopy training system, the, the JETS. JETS, the yes, through JAG. Part of JAG. Yes. And do you, have we seen a reduction in complications nationally following all this? Can we, have we, measure, can we measure that? So I think um, a reduction in complications is, is difficult to demonstrate. What we have seen is that the two big uh, UK national audits, uh, Jane Bowles' paper, uh, which really reflected, um, it was it published in the early 2000s, but it reflected uh, data from the end of the 90s. There's been a sea change in terms of quality of colonoscopy, uh, in terms of completion rates and uh, polyp pickup rates and so on, and the, the degree of supervision of trainees. Um, we would hope that that has also demonstrated a reduction in complications. It's difficult to uh, to measure that in terms of trainees because trainees, obviously, if a complication happens with a trainee currently now, that would be attributed to the trainer rather than the trainee. Um, but certainly the quality of colonoscopy in the UK has improved um, for sure uh, over this period where training has, has been become more structured. I think the biggest challenge for us now is that the ever-increasing um, demand for colonoscopy means that we're going to have to get smarter about uh, training. There's a reduction in the number of years that certainly gastroenterologists are going to be training in colonoscopy, so we're going to have to cram that training into an ever-shorter time scale. Um, and, of course, we have a huge uh, cohort of, of excellent nurse endoscopists who are uh, also being trained in colonoscopy. Um, and the challenges are to try and speak up um, without losing any of the quality speed up the training program and, and that's something that my colleagues in JAG are working on now right and um, I suppose as we're doing more advanced procedures more ESD and EMR resections and so on we might still see some of these complications perhaps more than we would have done if we send them straight to surgery which in a sense is a is a, it has its own complications. Um, you know, how, how ambitious are we getting with these very large adenomas, right-sided or rectum, uh, rectal? Um, I mean, we're now doing things which we 
10, 15 years ago wouldn't have dreamed of doing endoscopically and it seems to be extraordinarily successful. Do you want to comment on that? Yes, I think, uh, I mean, it's it's a new branch of endoscopy, really, and it's really, uh, they are endosurgical techniques, and quite literally some of them are combined endosurgical techniques. Uh, and, you know, the overlap of the, for example, in the, in the rectum, the overlap uh, of the techniques available, they're still all trying to find their way in terms of the evidence base for them. But it does mean that there are a variety of options for each and every large lesion that we see. And I, I shouldn't just use the word large lesion because sometimes it may be an early invasive small lesion. And we have now everything from um, full thickness resection devices that sit on the end of a scope. So you can literally remove either a small cancer or a recurrent polyp um, from anywhere within the colon, full thickness and seal it in, in one go on the end of a colonoscope through to, as you say, endoscopic mucosal resection and ESD, uh, and then into the sort of uh, combined procedures or transanal uh, procedures, taser and so on. Um, and uh, many endoscopists want to get involved in these more exciting therapeutic uh, procedures, but I always say that really you have to go back to basics. You have to have the basic polypectomy skills uh, up your sleeve before you can think of embarking on them. And there is an increasing demand. Screening will pick out these uh, more advanced benign lesions or very early cancers. Uh, and it's an incredibly exciting field to work in. The challenge, as you've already uh, alluded to, is um, finding the time to train these endoscopists uh, to, to a high enough quality standard. But now there are more and more uh, endoscopists by profession. So rather than being a gastroenterologist with a specialty interest, they are endoscopists and specialist endoscopists with a specialist interest in a niche of endoscopy. I mean, we're going to see this more and more, aren't we? We're going to see hospitals have, you know, a specialist um, colonoscopist who's doing therapeutic um, uh, procedures uh, instead of doing a lot of gastroenterological clinics and, and IBD and all the rest of it. So we're, we're going to see that more and more, I'm sure. I mean, are the ordinary general hospitals appointing pure endoscopists now? And we've got three or four or five here uh, who are basically 80% of their time is endoscopy, 20% maybe gastroenterology still. Um, are, have other hospitals got that, that proportion yet? Uh, not maybe not that proportion, but um, I mean one way of looking at it is is uh, we're trying to encourage now endoscopists and teams uh, services to look at a lesion and before um, any endoscopist em embarking on removing a more complex lesion, classifying it according to one of the systems that we have. So for example, the SMSA system. Um, so looking at the site, the size, the morphology and the access of a lesion, and grading it. And the more complex lesions should then be referred on to regional centers. Um, most or, or many centres now will have access to a, uh, uh, an, another centre down the road if they don't have advanced endoscopy within their own trust and they can refer the lesions on for discussion at a polyp meeting or a polyp MDT to try and determine which of these more complex techniques uh, you know, the polyp should be uh, removed by. Um, and we would encourage people to work in this way collaboratively with specialist centres or a specialist endoscopist so that the expertise is focused. Has that been formalised by JAG yet? Rather like you know, pancreatic centres have now been earmarked 
round the country, regional centres. Has JAG got as far as that um, no, with endoscopy? No, not, not formally. But, I mean, as a broad brush, we're saying that really any... There shouldn't be such a thing as a diagnostic colonoscopist. So in years gone by, particularly perhaps, for example, nurse endoscopists, it was thought that they should not be doing... Uh, any therapy polypectomy I was never of that belief but that's now a no-no and all colonoscopists if they're competent should be able to remove what we would call level one and level two polyps so small polyps and then every service should so every DGH should have at least one endoscopist who can take off level three polyps so the perhaps the bigger EMRs and then every region should then have a center where the level four the more advanced lesions can go to so the larger more difficult more challenging uh, EMRs or the ESDs uh, and we're trying to develop those networks but no there is no formal networks so that's, that's a task for the near future. Yes. And you mentioned earlier on, we're coming to the end of our, our podcast, and I've learnt a lot, and it's been very interesting. Um, how Sir Marks, um, and you, your, one of your predecessors, Christopher Williams, uh, pioneered this in, in the UK, and we were certainly at the forefront worldwide, I think, in, in colonoscopy, and uh, we still are, I, I would suggest. How do you think Sir Marks is going to play a part in the future uh, of, the, of this subject which is obviously not going to it's going to grow in importance as the demand continues to grow um, how is St Mark's going to play its part in this? I think St Mark's has always um, led by example and also with enthusiasm and I think that's that's key so to develop any new technique uh, and to perfect it such that you can then teach it and share that with others uh, clinicians have to have the time and the resource to do that um, but most importantly they have to have the interest and the enthusiasm and I think St Mark's um, will continue to do that and is doing that. What is really gratifying is that there are now a number of centres outside of St Mark's elsewhere around the country uh, that also have experts and we work collaboratively, co collaboratively with them um, through things like the BSG Endoscopy Live event that now happens every two years. Uh, I think the other new thing for St Mark's is that we've recently um, appointed a whole cohort of both upper GI and hepatobiliary um, uh, endoscopists and whereas St Mark's has always focused on colorectal and lower GI uh, what we've talked about in endoscopy and lower GI is also happening elsewhere in the GI tract um, and it would be foolhardy to just think of ourselves as being just lower GI tract because patients often have uh, disease in more than one part of the GI tract and so um, it's important to have that expertise locally and and we're developing that now so that's something for the future of St Mark's certainly the, to to develop the upper GI service uh, and uh, research and training more than we have done uh, certainly the colonoscopy days we have here are absolutely packed out with live television um, spectacles going on and everybody seems to get a lot out of it and anybody listening who hasn't been to on a St Mark's uh, gastroenterological day or uh, and, and so on uh, might be wise to consider that but um, thank you very much Shuen for giving us a, a very sh brief snapshot of what we do here at St Mark's with regard to endoscopy and particularly colonoscopy and uh, thank you very much indeed for giving us your insights. Thank you.